Hi, this is Spider-Man, and I'd love to stick around and listen to amazing Spider-Talk, but Madam Web just told me Doc Ock is about to kidnap Mary Jane Watson, and well, a spider's gotta do what a spider's gotta do. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandoned The amazing spider talk The amazing spider I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for the third episode of the third season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. In this third season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk, Dan, we've been following our favorite web-slinger through his transition into the Bronze Age, a time period that is known for its darker tone and sometimes outlandish stories. Uh, today, we're going to stare right into the heart of those outlandish stories by investigating the instigators of those tales, the bums of the Bronze Age, the bad, bad guys. As always, this episode wouldn't be possible without support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. If you enjoy the show and want to help us continue while getting amazing bonus content and additional episodes that we never release publicly, head on over to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our team. And as with such, we'd like to thank all of our new patrons who made this very episode possible. So thanks to our new patrons, Justin Lamb and Braden Weaver. Awesome, Mark. Look, everyone, not everybody can be the deadliest or most superior foe of Spider-Man. For every Green Goblin and Dr. Octopus, there are a ton of other villains, and we know them as the bad, bad guys. Dan, so we're in our third season of this show, and it, you know, as kind of has become our hallmark on Amazing Spider Talk, each season we focus on the villains uh, as they are that have been introduced, and then we also kind of look back at what uh, some of Spidey's existing, more famous rogues have been doing during this time period. Uh, we're in like the early mid 1970s, and boy, Dan. We have moved well beyond the Doc Ox and Green Goblins of the world, as you introduce. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that, but uh, so <laughs> what we're going to do here is uh, we're going to break this down a bit. Uh, we're going to start with the A-list, which I think even that is kind of questionable, but maybe we can call them the A-list of this era. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's important that you say that, Mark, and that you highlighted that we do this every season, it seems, because... After this, it kind of seems like this is like the, the the end point of these big glut of new villain characters. Every once in a while, we get an author that wants to come in and, and bring a few new characters in. But like, I think by this point, this book really started to figure out like these are the main characters that Spidey's going to be squaring off against. 
Yeah, and I mean, just for some historical context, I mean, obviously, as we've been talking about through the first few episodes of the season, I mean, you know, Stan Lee is now officially off the book. Uh, we have someone writing writing Spider-Man now who, you know, who's not Stan Lee. And as a result, um, during this run, whether it was Jerry Conway or later uh, Len Wein, um, others on some of the B-books, you know, there was this kind of, there was this desire to, to, to mix it up and do things differently. I mean, we still got some Green Goblin and Doc Ock stories. Obviously, we got probably the most famous Spider-Man story and Green Goblin story of all time with the death of Gwen Stacy. So clearly that's not a, a bad, bad guy <laughs> in terms of um, <laughs> Spider-Man history or comic book history. But, you know, when you look at kind of the the issues surrounding uh, death of Gwen, I mean, you know, there's, there's this clear effort from the creative teams to kind of distance themselves from uh, the same old, same old. I mean, we, you know, we got a couple of new villains, obviously, during the Ramita Stanley run, including Kingpin. Um, but there was definitely you could you could see the effort all over this era in terms of these creators being like, well, I don't want to do the same old thing. I don't want to rely on stands, guys. I want to create new characters. And as a result, the results were very, um, very up and down, to say the least. Um, <laughs> so let's start with up, Mark. Let's start with our A-list or what we have written in our notes here, A-list-ish? Yeah, it's an ish. Um, but, I mean, I I think just to kind of give people a sense of why we're putting these characters on the top of uh, the rankings, so to speak. I mean, these are characters that have endured in their own way they're 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 part of spider-man's rogues galleries they've they've been a part they've been a part of some famous stories on their own or kind of have their own following have had their own books you know i think i think that's just the best way to put it i mean it's it's these are characters where even if you're not like a hardcore spider-man fan you probably recognize these characters just from the marvel history of 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 comics and and superheroes and stuff like that so i i think that's part of the reason why we we put them on top um but like you said it's it's we're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel calling these a-lists these are not these are not sandmans or electros that's for sure uh and even some of these i don't know if they qualify truly as uh bronze age so let's start with the first one on our a-list which is morbius who kind of really came in a bit before the era that we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, well, Morbius was brought in in Amazing Spider-Man 101, which technically is like the very beginning of the of the comic era that we've been talking about so far. Certainly in that first episode that we did, Dan, we were kind of talking about the run-up of issues to the death of Gwen. I mean, yeah, death of Gwen is kind of considered the definitive Bronze Age moment, but, you know, depending on who you talk to, who you know, people who don't want to be quite so literal about it, um, they might just view it as like when Stan Lee was off the book for good or or at least off really regularly scripting and not using evergreen stories of Stan's to kind of fill in the blanks. Um, and I also think that Morbius is a kind of a good marking point because uh, Morbius is the direct result of the comic code authority kind of laxing its standards. I mean, we talked about in season two the the Harry Osborn on drug storyline and the no comic code on the front of those issues, Amazing Spider-Man 96 to 98, and what a major moment in comics that was because of the content and the themes. Um, But kind of another little offshoot of that was when the Comic Code Authority relaxed their standards in terms of what could be talked about in comics. One of the big things they did was um, this idea of the occult, like um, certain characters, um, like vampires and werewolves and, and Frankenstein monsters, basically any kind of monster character. They were not allowed to be featured in mainstream comics because, uh, you know, they wanted to, they didn't want to encourage uh, us impressionable youths uh, to, to practice uh, the occult, I guess. I mean, who knows? <laughs> and maybe that's a little bit about like Morbius too. He's he kind of over the years become like a not entirely bad character. Like he's he's pretty much a, a hero most of the time these days. Um, you know, he's this vampire that he's not on the level of like say Blade, but like he is treated by most people as like a relative good guy, except for Spider Man who seems to kind of almost as a joke now, beat up on Morbius every time he sees him. Yeah, and as, as Roy Thomas, uh, Morbius's co-creator, pointed out to us when we had him on at the end of last season, I mean, it's basically like Marvel 
Once once these standards lax, Marvel was itching to get these characters into the mainstream. So um, Roy Thomas was basically stuck with this story he didn't want to write, which was Peter Parker with six arms, uh, thanks to Amazing Spider-Man number 100. So it was like, all right, well, I don't want to write this story, but Stan Lee is sticking me with it. So I want to then bring in this vampire character to kind of, I, I don't know, make myself feel better about this bad story I have to finish? I don't know. Um, <laughs> and of course, like, it, it is interesting to note that even with the standards being laxed, it's kind of, you know, we're, we're not calling... Morbius is not a true, true vampire. It's, it's you know, his the whole shtick with his character is he's, he's a man of science who experimented on himself a la Kurt Connors and the Lizard, who's also in this story. And he has vampire-like qualities, right? Is that the best way to describe it, Dan? Yeah, unless it's the animated show where he has weird suckers on his hands, which I think is more disturbing than actually being a vampire. Right, right, right. But, you know, Morbius... I don't know. Like, it's so funny, Dan, because, like, I'm not a big Morbius person, speaking personally. Like, I never quite got the character. I, I, I'm, I'm not a monster book person. And, you know, I, I already felt like we had one man of science with questionable motivations, kind of, you know, uh, uh, an in-betweener character for Spider-Man to fight in terms of the lizard. So I don't know what necessarily Morbius adds to... Um, the biography of Spider-Man that makes him distinct and special. And yet, Morbius has kind of taken on a life of his own over the years. I mean, he was featured pretty regularly in the Bronze Age in terms of other books like Marvel Team-Up and Spectacular. Um, And then, I mean, he's even had his own book a few times, um, which is kind of surprising. I mean, you know, but uh, I mean, most recently he had his own book during the Superior Spider-Man era. And I think the less said about that, the better. I mean, that lasted about, what, six issues? Yeah, and he's got a movie coming up if Sony moves forward on it. I mean, they've already cast it and everything. So, you know, I think expect to see Morbius have an even more elevated profile. Yeah, I mean, which means, of course, he'll probably have another book come out at some point, I'm assuming. And the, you know, tickets, the the price on a Spider-Man 100 or 101 will go through the roof even more. Excellent, Dan. I always like when my books blow up for that for those kinds of reasons. <laughs> like my first Carol Dan versus Captain Marvel and Avenging Spider-Man Eleven. That's how many hundreds of dollars now? Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. All right. So next up uh, is uh, you know I think an even bigger character in terms of Spider-Man mythology is Hammerhead, um, who has really be- kind of become his own thing. You know, he, he was recently featured in the Spider-Man. PlayStation 4 game in the downloadable content where they turned him into like a mech robot. Uh, but now, he, you know, in this, he is just like a gangster with a metal plate in his head that would eventually become, you know, be revealed to be adamantium. And then he got all of his bones to be covered in adamantium. And he's had a bit of a strange uh, history, not to mention being turned into a ghost. But one of the <laughs> things that you and I like to uh, joke about on the show is Hammerhead's origins. Why don't you tell everybody about his origins? Well, you know, it's just a simple story of someone, um, you know, a a bad guy undergoing surgery. um, And, you know, the first thing he sees when he wakes up is uh, a a poster for a mafia movie. What else would make someone go into a life of crime, Dan? (laughs) I mean, having half your brain kind of removed could, could contribute to that as well. I mean, he certainly, you know... He's famous for having kind of like the flattened top of his head. Um, I don't think any of his brain is actually removed, but, you know, you can't really go through a traumatic surgery like that and walk out the same guy. No, but, you know, what's the first thing you see when you come out of a traumatic surgery like that? It's, um, you know, basically a a poster to like Mario Puzo's Godfather movie, uh, or I should say Francis Ford Coppola's Godfather movie. And then thus, thus a supervillain is born. I mean, that's like my favorite thing. It's like, what if like the movie that came out of that time was like Blade Runner? Like what, what would Hammerhead have been? Uh, (laughs) Just crying in the rain a lot. I guess. I mean, you know, do, do, do androids dream of electric sheep dan i don't know uh, <laughs> neither does the movie um I, no hammerhead <laughs> after, has, after so many cuts uh, <laughs> <laughs> hammerhead has really kind of gone on to become like a real staple of spider-man uh, mythology i think he's almost a, a bit overused at this point like anytime there's a thug hammerhead is there 
Yeah, but that's the interesting thing about him, though, Dan. It's like he's very rarely outside of these first few issues um, where he shows up. And even then, he show, it's, a, it's a gang war between him and Doc Ock. They kind of set up this rivalry between him and Doc Ock. But, like, Hammerhead is very rarely the main attraction when he shows up in a Spider-Man book. He's almost always a henchman. Uh, he gets paired off with whether it's Tombstone or, or or the Kingpin. You know what I mean? It's like it's 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 never a Spider-Man. It's very rarely a Spider-Man versus Hammerhead story one-on-one. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the only real great, like, Hammerhead story that I can think of where he was the solo villain in recent is something like, that brand new day one where we, where he like died and had his skeleton covered in adamantium. Do you know the one I'm, I'm the the ec, the Amazing Spider-Man extra story? Right, right. But I mean, and that was like you know, speaking of recent artists on the book, that was Chris Bacalo as well doing that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Hammerhead he shows up here and I think kind of immediately made an impression. Yeah, and I mean, it's he's basically Jerry Conway's first true villain that he created. So, I mean, and Jerry Conway, as he has said on our show numerous times, I mean, he he wanted to he, one of the things that he really loved about Spider-Man back in the day was like this the street level element, like the Cry Master story is one of his all-time favorites and clearly this is this is Jerry trying to pay homage to those stories and create a true street level thug and, you know, like you said, overused or not, that's quintessentially what Hammerhead is, and I feel he succeeds in that level. And, you know, unlike Morbius, I feel like, I mean, Hammerhead kind of has a use and, and fills a void, and, you know, it's good to have more thugs that are maybe a little bit above just the regular, you know, purse snatchers and, and stick them up guys. I mean, this guy's got a little more going on, so when Spider-Man's got to take him on, it can be a fun fight. Well, because it's the Bronze Age, we also have to highlight the silliness of this era. And, you know, what do you do when you create this great mobster character? You immediately undercut him by killing him and focusing on his wandering ghost that terrorizes a number of characters for a number of issues. It's just the strangest thing of this gangster ghost that goes through walls and and messes with Dr. Octopus and all this stuff. To me, that is one of the strangest stories that happens in the Bronze Age. Yes, I also love. There's that what one cover, I think it's from the Len Wein run, in uh, Ross Andrew, where it's like Doc Ock is like strangling Spider-Man, and in the background, <laughs> Hammerhead's ghost is just floating around. I'm like, what is this era of comics? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of silly, Mark, do you want to tell us about our next one? Well, the last one, I mean, you know, for reasons both. Uh, Good and bad, I guess. Uh, this, this, I mean, I, I feel like this one is a true A-list villain, whether we like it or not. And that is the Jackal. Introduced in Amazing Spider-Man number 129, which, you know, shockingly, Jackal is not the most famous character introduced in that comic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is also the first appearance of the Punisher. And oddly enough, the Punisher was basically just supposed to be a dime a dozen guy that the Jackal sends out after Spider-Man because the Jackal is basically being introduced as the new kind of mystery villain du jour of Spider-Man comics that we, you know, the mystery villain element that we know and love so much from Spider-Man comics now. Uh, Jackal was basically Jerry Conway's attempt to do that, to do what we did with the Green Goblin, to do what we did with the Crime Master and on and on. And just Jerry Conway admitted after the fact the character that he basically created as the fo- as the cannon fodder for the you know for the jackal ended up being so much cooler and 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 more compelling than Jackal himself. So that's how the Punisher came to be. But we can get to that later. But the Jackal here. So I mean the Jackal storyline. I mean basically followed the duration of Conway's run until the end, which was Amazing Spider-Man number one forty nine, which uh, you. Uh, diligent historians might note was the first appearance of Spider-Man's clone. Um, And Spider-Man allegedly kills the clone and kills the Jackal uh, in an explosion at Shea Stadium where my beloved Mets used to play. And that was that, right? We never heard of the Jackal again or the clone, right, Dan? Absolutely not. Uh, Mark, do you think that the reason that the Jackal never really caught on beyond this? I mean, yes, he would come back a number of times over the years, but I don't think he's ever treated with the level of seriousness as the Green Goblin. And I don't think it's necessarily the writing because I think the idea of the Jackal is super cool and largely more motivated than the Green Goblin story. 
do you, but I've always suspected that the reason the, the Jackal was never treated seriously is just because the design is so silly and it was never really allowed to truly evolve in the same way that the Goblins design did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's just, I mean, he's Miles Warren, a professor at um, Empire State University, uh, where Peter and Gwen Stacy went to college, uh, in a furry animal suit. I mean, he's a furry. (laughs) (laughs) But but even Miles himself looks like a pushover. He's like stock professor. They might as well call him like Professor Oak or something like that. You know, he's just like kind of a forgettable design, whereas Norman Osborn is is a menacing figure. And and I get it that like there's kind of the, 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 the petty scientist that puts on the furry costume. I, I mean, I say that and it, it automatically sounds not threatening. Right. But like right. there there was a version of the design of this character that was a lot scarier and I think the nineties tried to get into that, but maybe just kind of made him more of a cartoon. Like you can see that they're trying to make him more like the Joker. You know, because the Joker, a clown, should be disarming, but it isn't. Um, I guess in the same way that a furry should be disarming, but isn't. You know, right. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you have any thoughts about that? No, I do. I mean, like, I mean, just kind of going back to what you were just saying a few seconds ago with the Green Goblin. I mean, like, you know, yes, the Green Goblin, he's a guy in green and purple. And, you know, you would think at first appearance kind of looks silly. But, you know. In addition to the design kind of being a little slicker, I mean, he's got the goblin glider and he's got pumpkin bombs and he's got all this cool uh, technology to aid him. And the jackal is just kind of like he he sends a bunch of goons after Spider-Man and he can like claw at his back. I mean, that's like his powers. It's not it's not much. And and he makes clone. I mean, he's a man of science, but like his science is making clones. And it's it's I don't know. It, it just it seems more. I mean, and, and Miles, you know, just so we can get it out there. Miles Warren's whole uh, objective is he is he is um, insane with jealousy and rage that because um, he had uh, uh, he lusted for Gwen Stacy and he blames Spider-Man and thus Peter Parker for her death, which actually is probably the truest thing that he's, you know, of any villains ever actually felt uh, for Spider-Man. But, you know, his whole thing is to basically, like, create a, the perfect Gwen clone and and to get revenge on Peter. But it's just, like, it, it, it's kind of more pathetic than anything else. And, yeah, there was nothing, like, compelling about the design or, or how the character's powers evolved. It was just kind of like, okay, so he's... He's a mad scientist who hires different goons. I mean, we have the Punisher. We have a few other villains that will show up on this uh, on this episode a little later that he sent out after Spider-Man. Not much going on there, though, in terms of like what makes him by himself compelling or 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 threatening or anything like that. And for me, it was always that he just like hung out on rooftops all the time. You know, like give him secret layers and things like that. Like, but every time we saw him. Spider-Man was encountering him on, like, a rooftop where he would, like, make a few jokes and then disappear. Um, so, but, I mean, obviously, he would go on to have a much, you know, larger, uh, you know, profile in the 90s. And even with the clone conspiracy recently, I, I like the Jackal's role in that, even if it was, like, a subordinate one. Right. It was, you know, he's become an interesting figure in that he seems to be unkillable. Um, and I think he's really, like, right, you know, ripe for... A really strong writer to do something really unique with him and 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 change the character up. I mean, I think there's real potential there for the Jackal to elevate his profile considerably. Yeah, and not for nothing. I the most recent iteration of the Jackal, even though it ended up being Ben Riley, I I liked the design of that character a lot. I felt like kind of like the red business suit with the um, what's the name of the of the the god? Isn't it like Anubis? Yes, thank you. Uh, the helmet, I, I, I actually thought that was pretty kind of unnerving and, and interesting in terms of a character design. So, Heck, making Ben Riley the Jackal is really interesting, even if yeah. like, I didn't feel like that was totally motivated. Correct, correct. But, but the, yeah, it, but there's just no denying. I mean, the Jackal has endured. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing, of course, I mean, you know, like with the clone, you know, the character got killed and he was he was as close to dead as dead in Marvel Comics as you can get. He never really showed up again until uh, the Clone Saga in the 90s and then obviously played such a critical part in the whole thing, creating Kane and creating Ben Riley. But it is interesting how, how long they kept the character on ice for. There was basically no desire to kind of bring this guy back. 
And that's probably what makes him so special is that, like, nobody expected any of this for, you know, 20 years. So, but yeah, uh, the Jackal, he's interesting, even if he isn't the most compelling villain at this point. Yeah. Uh, so why don't we move on to the B list? Um, this is not um, a lengthy list here, but I guess you know for the purposes of this list, we're talking about villains who have showed up in multiple stories and um, in you know whether in Spider-Man or elsewhere, um, kind of have their place in Marvel comics lore, um, but you know certainly aren't carrying major arcs or anything like that on their own. I think that's maybe the best way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I, well, I think you'll get the idea of it straight away when we say the first one's name. Yeah, the first is the Tarantula, um, which, you know, I, I, I maybe I have a soft spot for this character because um, actually some of the earliest uh, comics, like back issues I ever bought when I was a kid were actually had the Tarantula in it for whatever. Like, like my first uh, Bronze Age comic book was 147. Uh, which is the first the first of the three parts of the story that culminates in the Clone Saga. If only I had 149 first, Dan, I would be a millionaire or, or not. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know the whole the whole so the whole premise of the Tarantula is you know again is this is a Jerry Conway Ross Andrew creation, uh, and Jerry wanted to create. He he he, he kind of liked this idea. I mean, you know, this is pre multiverse, but like this idea of like, well, what what would it be like if there was a Spider-Man-esque character from another country, but, you know, because he didn't have Peter's biography, he was a bad guy. Um, and that's what we have with Tarantula. He is um, from South America, and, you know, he's got the agility and acrobatics of, of, of Spider-Man. I mean, he doesn't have the full super abilities, but he's, he's basically, you know... Um, high-end speed, high-end agility, uh, expert fighter, uh, hand-to-hand combat, and he's got these these pointy boots that um, basically kind of give you like a, a, a spider bite or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> a venom sting, maybe, if you will. Um, I always thought the boots were hilarious because if he had to attack you, he had to like basically hurl his entire body at you. Yeah, and not that, very... Like, not terribly practical. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and wasn't he Mexico's version of the Captain America program? Like they were trying to create their own super soldier, but he kind of went bad. Yes. Yes. That's that. That is true. You're right. I, I forgot about the, the super soldier element to it. But but yeah, I mean, but again, it's it's it's, you know, trying to kind of create this this version of a hero. But, you know, because he doesn't have the biography, he can't become the hero. I think that's kind of. So again, it's a cool premise, but you know he shows up. Actually, Conway uses him quite regularly once he's first introduced, which I think is issue one thirty four ish, and you know kind of shows up periodically in here, later in Spectacular Spider Man and a Marvel team up, uh, and you know becomes a fairly regular villain until Roger Stern turns him into a giant tarantula in the 80s and kills him. <laughs> One of the more odd Roger Stern uh, uh, moves, but like I'll never forget his death issue because he, they're on like a they're fighting on like a garbage barge like and like Spider-Man keeps like making references to like how like puny tarantula is and weakling and he kind of gets disposed amongst the garbage and you have to think that Roger Stern was like making a statement about how he felt about the tarantula character, you know, in, in how quickly he disposed of him amongst garbage. You, you know what I mean? Like he, I think Roger Stern really kind of like one of the first actions he did was increase the power set of Spider-Man back to like, I think the way Dicko saw him, which was like a really powerful dude that could lift all that weight. And uh, I think one of the first acts was going like, we're going to get rid of these regular dude villains like tarantula and put him up against like the juggernaut and and so on yeah now there you go so that's that's tarantula <laughs> uh, <laughs> i always liked his design like i love yeah. this kind of like bandana thing and he recently showed up again even though he was dead there's like new versions of the tarantula although i think he was brought back during the clone conspiracy so i don't know did ben riley go out there and like scoop a bit of tarantula out of the trash compactor i don't i don't know well you know there's no there's no telling and there was like there were other tarantulas even pre-clone conspiracy although i I, i'm drawing a blank in terms of 
who was assuming the identity. But um, even Roderick Kingsley dressed up as a tarantula for a little while there. There you go. So um, you know, like he's 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 kind of been around. I mean, modern readers today, outside of like you said, seeing him show up in the background, might be like, well, what's the big deal with this guy? But like, I feel like through the seventies and eighties and early nineties, tarantula was kind of a part of things one way or another. Whether you know, not not a main villain, but he's 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 been around. He's kind of been forgotten in like other media too. Like I've never seen Tarantula show up in as like a you know like mini boss in a game or anything like that. I'd be curious to really see if there were ever really any Tarantula products made outside of the comics. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. Like someone like the Scorpion is kind of endured, but not Tarantula. But um, yeah. maybe it's, maybe it's the boots. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this next one, like, you know, it's funny. Like, I don't always think of him as an upper echelon villain, but he's he's kind of made it to through, you know, over the test of time. And that would be Manwolf, John Jameson. He even dated She-Hulk. He dated She-Hulk. Um, and, and he had a regular part of the, the most recent run on Carnage, um, Jerry Conway's Carnage book. So, um, which is fitting because Jerry Conway created this character. Well, well, this version of this character, John Jameson, appears in the first issue of Amazing Spider-Man as J. Jonah Jameson's astronaut son. But the story of Man Wolf is, uh, you know, again, we're in the era of the comic code being lax. So let's get some monster villains in there and let's make John Jomison, John Jomison, John Jameson uh, get a hold of a, of a, what is it, like a radioactive moonstone? <laughs> yeah, that it, at first it's a necklace and then it eventually embeds itself in his neck, you know, like it does, like you do. Like, like you do, and and it makes him into a werewolf. <laughs> so there you go. So it's you know, and of course because it's John Jameson, Spider Man, kind of like with the lizard, and kind of like with Morbius. There there is conflict in terms of, of fighting him, and it's a goofy design. I mean, he's got like this yellow jumper on, and you know, kind of pseudo astronaut type of motif going on with the outfit. Uh, utterly ridiculous. But Man Wolf is kind of. He's he's endured. I don't know what else to say. Like you say, he dated She-Hulk. I mean, he's what 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 can what what can you say about Manwolf that makes him lesser than maybe the next batch of villains we're going to get to in a few minutes, Dan? Yeah, although for me, he's a start of like a disturbing trend, which is like everybody in Spider-Man's life ends up being someone special. Like you know, he. I mean, without Manwolf, you know, would we get a you know, Flash Thompson as Venom, you know, like, or a Ned Leeds as the Hobgoblin, probably, but, like, it's the start of this real kind of, like, everybody in Peter's life is someone, or, like, we can elevate this villain by making him some tangential character to Spider-Man, and for me, you know, I think eventually stories kind of ring some ideas out of the Man-Wolf thing, where they made you know, uh, J. Jonah Jameson kind of questioned his son's role in the whole superhero world after condemning Spider-Man so long. He now has, like, a son who's a hero villain, you know, and th- and that that can be interesting. But to me, this is kind of an unnecessary change for a character in Spider-Man's orbit. Right. Not that I don't want to keep talking about Man-Wolf, but now let's get to the next level, which, I mean... This is not C-list. This isn't D-list. I don't even know what letter to put next to these guys, Dan. These guys are the bums, or duh bums, as we have written on our notes here. These are the guys that we're really, like, here to champion, because these are the guys you love to hate. Yeah, but Dan, I think we should do something special here. Instead of us introducing them... Maybe maybe they need to introduce themselves or at least give a little clue about who we're talking about uh, before uh, we we pull back the curtain on who these guys are. Are you ready? I don't know. I'll, ever, I'll be ever ready for that. <laughs> well, Dad, let's just let's just go with it. Maybe you should like turn off your video feed because this, this could get this could get messy, Dad. <laughs> They're all storming into your house here, Mark. Yeah, here we come, one after the other. It's like it's like the letters uh, for uh, Santa Claus in uh, Miracle on 34th Street. Okay, here they come. <laughs> let's start them off. Here's the first one.
Yeah, so Spider-Man, he laughed at me because of the way I swing around, and I don't like him, so I teamed up with Kraven the Hunter to beat him up. Who am I again? You're the Gibbon, Martin Blank. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, what what could be better? Well, the Gibbon's getting a comeback, Dan, right? Yeah, he's got a new issue coming out in a few weeks. I know I'll be there to buy it. I, I on our Slack, I said, you guys aren't going to buy this? It's got the Gibbon in it. I am there. I am sold. And they asked if I was being sarcastic. And I'm like, no, I love these guys. These guys are terrible. And the Gibbon, Stan Lee's final villain creation is like, you know, he, he, this is a case of last and least. <laughs> Sorry, The Given. I really don't mean to insult you, but we're laughing at you as as is to be done with The Given. I think my favorite part of The Given was, again, similar to um, what Stanley did to Roy Thomas with, with Six-Armed Spidey and, and Morbius, uh, was, you know, he was introduced in a Stan Lee story that then Jerry Conway had to... F- finish off as his first official issue on Amazing Spider-Man. Like, surprise! You get a crappy villain. (laughs) (laughs) Stan's heart truly wasn't in that one. Alright, so uh, let's let's get our next guy up. I mean, I don't think this one's going to take long to guess, Dan. Good day, mate! You know who I am? Let's show another shrimp on the barbie while I use my superpower jumping ability to put a pummel a hole in your head. <laughs> it's the kangaroo, of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, who else, Dad? I mean, you knew I, I, you knew, you knew he'd be going for the cheap joke. Now, why am I saying I would be going for the cheap joke? I'll tell you what, the kangaroo... Kangaroo is all about the party in the back. That's my favorite thing about him. Nobody's got blonde locks quite like the kangaroo. Uh, also, interesting note, years later, he would be Miles Morales' first uh, villain fight, correct? Yeah, in the Ultimate Universe. Who would have thought about it? Kangaroo. <laughs> Ryan Michael Bendis thought about it. That's who. <laughs> I've been saving this one for years. <laughs> so the kangaroo, right, his ability is to just, he can jump around. And... He demonstrates that by, like, jumping through tables, and he's, like, another one of these, like, hammerhead types. It's like, he's just a gangster dude. Yep. But he can jump really high. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Not like we don't already have, like, Batrock the Leaper. Like, why create a new guy? Just use Batrock. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. Batrock gets, like, no respect. I mean, outside of people who are, like, hardcore Captain American comic book fans. I mean, like, Batrock gets, like, what, dispatched with a punch in Winter Soldier, the movie? <laughs> no, he has a decent fight scene with Captain America. I guess, I guess. I mean, I'm being a little bitter here. <laughs> we, we're just waiting for our kangaroo movie uh, to come, you know, maybe far from home. We'll get, We'll get some kangaroo action i wouldn't be shocked i could see kangaroos showing up in a marvel movie soon i really can if they're going international why not go to australia there we go all right well i don't even know what region this next character truly hails from um but let's let's bring him on All right, everybody, just open up your minds and look at my really cool bathing suit because I'm about to blow your mind and hypnotize you in my beach house and make you do anything I want you to. All right, who's that, Dan? (laughs) It's none other than Mindworm, whose house was actually a real house that people flocked to and got Jerry Conway in a bit of trouble over this depiction. Yeah, apparently he like went over to Rockaway Beach and found a bungalow and used that as inspiration for Ross Andrew and whoops, uh guess the house was real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Mindworm to me is like kind of like the typical like one you point to from this era for villains that like were largely forgotten. I mean, I think Paul Jenkins dusted him off like in the like early 2000s, but We've not seen much of him, and his design is just strange. He's like a man, but he's like half pug is the best way I could put it. Like, he's like half pug dog. He's got this face. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a mousy face, I would say, right? I mean, and he's with this very large forehead. Yeah, but he's got powers of hypnosis, I guess. But he doesn't play the guitar like the hypno hustler. So what's the appeal? 
Yeah, I mean, and it's also like, you know, like you said, or well, he said, oh my God, I'm going to have to edit that out. <laughs> you know, Rockaway Beach, you know, so you've got like Spider-Man fighting against like hordes of just normal people. And you get the same overused trope, which is like, they're bad guys, but they're not really bad guys, so I can't hurt them. And boy, we've never seen that one before. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Mind worm. Mind worm, folks. All right. Let's get the next one up. Oh, I hope this one's this one's taking up a lot of room here, Dan. Hold on. Well, you know something, Dan Gavazin? It's me. I'm the unstoppable force. I look like a walking carpet, and I'm really pissed off at J. Jonah Jameson. Who am I? You're none other than the Grizzly, a man wearing bear skin, and that's about it. <laughs> But he's a former pro wrestler, Dan. That was the thing. I that that always appealed to me. I mean, it would be like, didn't I think his story was like Jameson did a story about pro wrestling being fake or oh no, he cheated. He cheated in pro wrestling, which is a fake sport, and Jameson exposed it, and then he had a vendetta against the Bugle. <laughs> well, my favorite thing is that this guy can stand to like uh, stand up against Spider Man as a former pro wrestler, and it's like. Did they read Amazing Fantasy 15? Spider-Man just wipes the floor with wrestlers. That's his inspirational, like, beginning. Right. I mean, he didn't even, like, I mean, like, didn't he even talk to, like, Bonesaw or Buzzsaw? Or... <laughs> <laughs> Crusher Hogan is a wrestler, so let's not forget that. Nah, I know, but, um, I know. The, the Grizzly has kind of gone on to have a life of his own in some ways. Like, he recently was, uh, you know, a major mainstay character in... The uh, Nick Spencer run of Ant-Man, which makes it surprising to me he has not shown up again in uh, Nick Spencer's Amazing Spider-Man, although maybe he'll show up in in the hunted story we're about to embark on. But, um, you know, he was in Superior Foes, you know, in some kind of like, you know, fill-in issues and stuff. And I feel like he shows up, I mean, certainly more than like, say, Mindworm or The Gibbon. Right. Isn't there a, a, a Grizzly Mobile? Or am I confusing that? I, I feel like there's a, a comic somewhere out there of the Grizzly Mobile. I think that's in Ant-Man, where okay. the Grizzly Mobile makes its appearance. Yeah, and then there's the Cray Van, which is in uh, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. <laughs> I, do, I am not aware of that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's a real thing. Okay. Let's 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 get the next, next one in. I'm dying! <laughs> Well, Mark, that's unmistakably Gog. I know, right? The the like only villain that Spider-Man kind of, you know, without mercy murders. <laughs> <laughs> who would who would have mistaken that for anything else but him? I a know, giant alien that's never heard from again. I know, but it is kind of shocking that Spider-Man just kind of like goes, "Well, that happened. I killed him, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm never returning to the Savage Land again." Never again. All right. Well, moving on. <laughs> Suck la bleue. It is I, the master of the winds. You know me none other as a lover and a fighter. Who am I, Dan? You're none other than Cyclone with your big C on your chest. Yes, and he, it wasn't his whole thing like he was like a scientist for NAFTA or something. Or, <laughs> <laughs> not NAFTA, uh, NATO, NATO. <laughs> I'm like, what's the one that Putin wants to destroy? NATO, there we go. <laughs> Both of them. True, true. Uh, all of our alliances, Dan, all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, Cyclone, he, like, shows up when Spider-Man is over... Wait, does he come here, or does Spider-Man go there? Uh, Spider-Man goes there. It is, uh, he... Because this is... His first appearance is the, is, is the issue with the first kiss between him and MJ. Right, in the airport. Uh, at JFK, yeah. And, and that's a beautifully drawn issue. And, I mean, I guess Cyclone not coming back isn't necessarily because of his kind of bum-ishness. He's kind of a neat villain, and I like his costume design better than most of these guys we're talking about. But he's, you know, international villain, so there's not a great reason to bring him back. 
No, I mean, although I think he he shows up like in Superior Foes as kind of like a, a cannon fodder villain, right? Or am I confusing him? Right, and he's also in Spider-Man Family Business when Spider-Man is undercover as like a James Bond type and he goes to the casino and Cyclone shows up there. Yes, okay. So, I mean, you know, not exactly B-list quality, but he's had he's had a run. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I guess the same is true of our next one who just entered your home here. And, you know, like uh, I couldn't miss him because I'm seeing kind of double. Now you see me? Now you don't. Now there's three of me. Now there's two of me. I'm going to take your pocketbook. I'm going to take your wallet. I click the crash weddings. Who am I? It's Mirage. At least I think so. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. That 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 that, that one may not have been truly inspired, Dan. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I meant because, because you can never really grasp a Mirage. Rather. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. So I, I, I always think of Mirage as kind of like the poor man's Mysterio. Oh, very poor man's Mysterio. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who's got the weirder headpiece? That's true. Uh, I mean, the fishbowl is kind of endearing. Um, of course, like, you know, the Mira- Mirage uh, comes through on, like, the very common trope, which is if there is a wedding in a superhero comic, it has to be crashed in some way. Uh, in this case, it's the wedding of Ned Leeds and Betty Brant uh, before Ned Leeds was the hobgoblin and then murdered for it and before Betty Brant joined a cult. And the Mirage, he basically showed up to, like, rob all the wedding guests. I mean, you know, easy pickings, I guess. You know there's going to be money at a wedding. And he's got serious Galactus headgear envy. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's in all yellow, which is definitely unique. And, uh, and he's got this, like, V-cut thing on either side of his head, which is very bizarre. Um, and then, I guess more recently, he was kind of famously murdered in superior foes of spider-man a number of times yes yes he gets murdered a lot in that in that issue i like that a lot (laughs) well the next one has uh been on our show a number of times uh and we're happy that like you know his mother lent him to us today (laughs) mother said i could come on the show uh because uh, King Jong Un is gonna make peace today, right? <laughs> Why are you laughing? I support Mother and everything she does. <laughs> well, welcome back to the show, Stegron. Thank you, Mother. Now he's calling you Mother. He's just confused. He's a dumb dinosaur. What can I tell you? Yeah, you know he believes in. Uh, in- <laughs> All kinds of things. Like, I mean, uh, I mean, his 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 whole pedagogy is from the Stone Age. So, what do you expect? <laughs> you know, conversion therapy and all that stuff. <laughs> well, Stegron, we've had him on. We've talked about his his issues a bunch of times. I mean, you know, he he's uh, he's a dinosaur man. Like you know, I mean, do, do do we have to say anything else about Stegron, Dan? I mean, it bears repeating that the guy that turns into Stegron, a Stegosaurus type dinosaur man. His name was Vincent Stegron. So I think that always bears repeating. And if you want to hear more about our thoughts on Stegron, we did a great Christmas episode all about Stegron. And Stegron was kind of the basis of your and I's friendship. Yeah. So, I mean, he's not a bum, Dan. He's an A-list villain in my book. Yeah, me too. All right. This next one is actually really close to my heart. You know, you got to be careful because he kind of comes in on the wind, Dan. And he's gone. I, I'm guessing it has to be Willow the Wisp. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of like comes in, like he's very, he's very light and fanciful and whispery, and and he's gone, Dan. I mean, well, no. What what is Willow the Wisp really like, Dan? Why is he close to your heart? Well, I mean, I kind of liked, you know, uh, the way that he was handled in the comic. I think his design is kind of neat, and he gets like what, like three or four issues of buildup where he's just kind of like. I don't know, like falling through the sky and going through trucks and, and he's kind of under mind control. He's this kind of misunderstood guy. I just always thought he was kind of handled in an interesting way, the way his powers are kind of described on the page and and the kind of mystery around what his actual goals are. I don't know why it it, it, it when I was younger he was a favorite of mine, but um 
Yeah, I know. I always kind of dug Will of the Wisp. Yeah, I get that. You know, this was always one of my kind of favorite Will of the Wisp facts. I don't know if this is actually anything about the character himself, but uh, Brian Michael Bendis's very first issue of Amazing Spider-Man as a kid was the first Will of the Wisp uh, issue. So that I mean, you know, if it wasn't for the Will of the Wisp, we would not have Bendis comics on Spider-Man. Think about that. Well, there you go. See, now it's absolutely solidified it for me. Will of the Wisp. <laughs> we're, we're bumping all these guys up to A-list. There we go. There we go. So he was like the Sandman. He got caught in some like a me- electromagnetic field thing where all of his molecules were like scattered and would find themselves coming back together. And then he was kind of forced by, you know, classic Jonas Harrow uh, to, you know, carry out criminal activities. And... Um, you know, he tries to kill Jonas Harrow after that and bringing in another villain, you know, Tarantula and Spider-Man kind of have to, like, not team up, but they, they both stop uh, Will Wisp from killing Jonas Harrow in, in multiple times. I don't know. He's kind of a complicated character who we don't see much of. Right, right. Well, you know, like you said, we don't, and, I mean, has he shown up in comics at all over the last few years? I don't, I don't remember. He was in Civil War back in the day where um, he was kind of um, uh, attacking Spider-Man as part of, like, Chameleon's plot to uh, get revenge on him after he unmasked. Um, And he was in, like, Punisher War Journal. But, yeah, I mean, I feel like we've seen visuals of him. I I think that Dan Slott incorporated him into some story, but it's it's not coming back to me immediately. Um, But, yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't know. He's kind of largely been absent in in in, a, in like a large aspect, but I don't think he was ever that big of a guy to begin with. He's like the light master. Uh, yeah, there you go. All right, we got one more bum, Dan, and this bum kind of leads to other bums, but then we're really scratching the surface. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, here he comes. Oh, he's, he's like whizzing in. It's like I I feel like I'm watching Back to the Future too here, Dan. Listen up, Big Wheel. I need some high-powered sneakers that I could put on a skateboard, and then I'm going to shoot myself off to the moon and steal some money from people. Who am I? Sound like a thinly-veiled Mark Ginocchio, but you're the rocket racer. Yeah, I mean, thinly-veiled or not, yes, rocket racer. Um, Rocket racer, of course, is uh, Robert Farrell is his actual name, and... um, He's a kid from Brooklyn uh, who hit on some hard times and turned to a life of crime. Uh, he actually originally goes to the Tinkerer. So this brings the Tinkerer back into Spider-Man mythology um, <clears throat> after, I guess, you know, outfitting the Vulture, right? Tinkerer comes in and gives him like a souped up skateboard and stuff like that. Uh, and then that also leads uh, Rocket Racer to this character known as um, Big Wheel, which is uh, what's 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 his actual name? Is it like Justin Wheel or something like that, or um, Jackson Wheel? Jackson Wheel, Dan. Jackson Wheel. Jackson Wheel. And Wheel is spelled W E E L E. Uh, is um, like another kind of like tinkerer type character, and and Rocket Racer just basically keeps um, insulting him by calling him Big Wheel. Like he doesn't want to be called Big Wheel for whatever reason. Uh, so, so he, <laughs> when you get a big wheel, yeah, you gotta so, just embrace it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Jackson wheel, they creates this giant wheel to kill rocket racer and Spider-Man gets in the way. They kind of team up and, you know, we, we kind of get to the point where rocket racer is misunderstood. He's, you know, again, just a character that made bad decisions. Uh, but big wheel, like <laughs> goes straight into the Hudson and that's the last you see of him until the, the wheel basically resurfaces years later as part of uh, what's his name? Overdrive's uh, mock-up of the first uh, superior Spider-Man issue. I mean, quite the story for this young man named rocket racer, right? Yeah. And we would see him every once in a while. I think the last time we really saw him was that he was one of the new students uh, at the Avengers Academy and then in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, we got a new rocket racer because that's what the world was demanding, Henry Sleeman. There you go. I mean, are we talking like, it's just like Burn Mackey stuff, Dan? Yeah, even the rocket racer's even on the cover. It's like kind of this like fun cover. It's a pretty fun issue. 
Um, like it's one of the actual fun ones from that era. Okay, I believe you. (laughs) (laughs) Just take my word for it. There you go. So uh, that's the bums, Dan. We've we've been going at it a long time, Dan, but maybe before we go, we should hit upon, like, what Spider-Man's classic villains have been up to in this era. (laughs) Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, there's the Green Goblin who, you know, kills Gwen and then dies, you know, cementing himself as Spider-Man's true arch nemesis. Um, But then, you know, Harry takes over for Norman in what I think the story you and I have actually talked about it before. It's it's a good idea, but not the best story in terms of its execution. And then, of course, we get the third Green Goblin, who is who, Mark? Well, that's none other than Bart Hamilton, Dan, right? I mean, that's a name that shirks, that puts fear in your heart, right? No, not really. And I, I think, like, the last thing, we, uh, what, it's also a good idea with not the best execution, right? Like, I think it's neat that, like, someone would kind of get that secret out of Harry Osborne and use it for their own purposes, it's it's not altogether that different from the Hobgoblin story. No, it's not. I guess, you know, for me, my issue with Bart Hamilton is, I mean, you know, the, the, the character literally has no abilities or powers. I mean, that's kind of, you know, outside of wearing the costume. And I feel like it's especially everything that's been built up for the Green Goblin to this point. I mean, it, it, it's Spider-Man's arch nemesis. And then it's, you know, his best friend becomes the, the character to kind of have this like no name take on the character kind of cheapens it to a little degree. And I, I think there's a reason why uh, that really wouldn't be done again for a while. Uh, I mean, we do get the Hobgoblin, but I kind of like the idea of the Hobgoblin being at least a little different than the Green Goblin, right? Yeah, although it is fun to see Harry take up the glider against someone wearing the specter of his father, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's very true. And, uh, of course, Doc Ock, this was an odd odd time for Otto Octavius, right? I mean, you know, we go from trying to marry Aunt May to get, uh, basically what? It's like a parcel of land she owns in Canada or something? Like, cause it's like a, what is it? It's like a sh- mine shaft or some crap like it's that? Got a nu- it's got a nuclear facility on it, which is how Otto and Hammerhead, like, are presumed to be dead because the, well, I think Hammerhead actually dies in the nuclear explosion. Correct. Which is why his ghost then goes on to haunt Doc Ock. You know, Spider-Man comics. Right. Comics in general, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Lizard kind of goes away, but we got that Stegron story. Yeah, I mean, that's a Merry Christmas with Stegron and the Lizard. Nothing better than that. Um, and then Sandman, of course, uh, he he at this point has really kind of finished his transition to more of a Fantastic Four villain as part of the Frightful Four. Uh, but he gets repackaged in this really awful gladiator costume. And what else does he do, Dan? We also get, and I'm remiss of saying this on this show... We get the the famous scene where uh, you know spy, he, there's like anal fisting meme <laughs> that comes out of this because of course you know nothing like drawing a character's hunched over with the sand fist going through someone's butt. There you go. That's that's more comics for you, Dan. Um, if you know it, you know it. You know it. You know it. Um, the last, oh, not the last one. The second to last one we have is, of course, the Vulture. Now at this point, Adrian Toomes. Has, gave way to, to uh, Blackie Drago for a while during the 60s. But now we get, Dan, I, I know this one is on the tip of your tongue, Clifton Shallot, right? I had totally forgotten about the existence of this character. I think most people did because this this kind of came out in those comics between the death of Gwen and the, and the Punisher Jackal storyline. So, like, I mean, these are, like, completely forgettable comics. I, 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 for some reason, have this weird affinity for these comics because... Um, when I started really getting into my back issue binge uh, about 10, 15 years ago, the binge that would ultimately end up completing my collection, uh, I bought a lot, a lot of comics. It was 123 to 128. So basically, you know, like all the issues like between the two key issues um, from this era. And, you know, so you have like the, the uh, Luke Cage issue on the cover. And then we have this storyline with Clifton Shallot, who is a, a, another professor at Empire State University. So clearly Jerry Conway liked his ESU professors. And he, he takes on the mantle of the vulture as kind of a petty crook. Uh, but due to some experimentation over time, he actually be, starts to become vulture-like and grows wings. So there you go. 
I had to like look in that issue to believe that it happened. I don't know how this like just formed a big gap in my memory. I, I have no recollection of this. If you told me that this was like a fake issue, I would believe you. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a real thing. Yep. And then uh, the last one, of course, is um, we had another. We have Mysterio two, who is Daniel Burkhart. Uh, who is another uh, Jay Jobinson? Jay Jobinson. The second time I did this tonight. Jay Jonah Jameson hire to take out Spider Man. Um, so, and then Burkhart would eventually go on to become a version of the Jack O' Lantern villain. So there you go, kids. Uh, Daniel Burkhart. I. That's one that I always kind of forget wasn't there, that there was another Mysterio besides. Um, Beck, Quentin Beck, Quentin Beck, Quentin Beck. Sorry. Oh, but but who's the third Mysterio? Oh crap. Francis Clum. Oh, my goodness. Francis Clum. There you go. So, Dan, I think we're at the end of the villains of the Bronze Age. <laughs> I mean, more power to us, I guess. But thanks to you, everybody at home, for tuning in for our third episode of our third season of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Mark, I don't know if we really learned much on this episode other than, like, man, there are some really like obscure things going around this time with Marvel's uh, villains and stuff. Um, but Mark, what's coming down the pike for our show? Yeah. Well, well, Dan, we're, we're actually going to, in terms of the season three format, we're actually going to go on a brief hiatus um, because um, this is a good thing, uh, at least for me personally. Uh, my wife and I just bought our first house um, and we're going to be moving uh, at the end of March. Uh, so in the interim, I, I am basically going to be up to my neck in terms of uh, packing and sorting out my life and, and kind of getting my kid enrolled in a new school and just a lot of moving pieces. Uh, so I think having just taking a, a couple of week break from the show will, will allow me to focus on that without being completely stressed out and, you know. That's it's 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 just about that. I mean, this is not a huge huge break, kids, but like it'll it'll probably be you know we'll probably be back sometime in like early April. I mean, does that sound good to you, Dan? <laughs> yeah, and I'll try to fill in the gap with a couple things. You know, whether it's me interviewing some person about something that's typically outside of our purview or releasing some review roundup episodes. We're not going to be completely gone, and I know that we kind of both of us hate that we are putting a break during the season three right already because we've already kind of delayed this as much as we have, but you know, life has its things and we're really happy for Mark. This is really great news. So congratulations, Mark. And, uh, you know, I think the show is only going to get better because of this. Like you're going to finally have room to really invest in building out your side of this whole, you know, podcasting ordeal. So I, yes. I think, <laughs> It's only going to get better, actually, from this move, even if we have to wait a couple weeks. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jen. And uh, yeah, we're really excited about it. This is going to be awesome. It's just going to be great to have some space and some uh, some t- ability to breathe and not be like locked in a back like storage closet area, which has been my, my recording setup for the better part of, uh, what, five, six years now? How long have we been doing this, Dan? Uh- <laughs> six years, Mark, you've been in that small room. Yeah, yeah, that's it's very true. I mean, that's, I... I, I have always been in this space to do this show, so it's going to be weird to be in a new space. That's for certain. <laughs> People don't get to see it, but Mark is like on a like half desk that rocks back and forth, doing the best he can to record this thing. So, like this is this is going to be a real positive. There we go. All right. <laughs> so you know, thanks everybody for their patience, and congratulations to you, Mark. Thank you so much. And also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed this week for a special review of Amazing Spider-Man number 16, also known as issue 817. There's no better place to join on the Patreon bandwagon than to join us for our exciting coverage of the Nick Spencer run of Amazing Spider-Man. Remember... For just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, Swarm B-Book reviews, extended interviews, mailbags, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commissioned artwork this season from Barry Kitson. And also be sure to check out our sister show, The Untold Talks of Spider-Man, where they're talking about Spider-Man's Tangled Web, number 13, where Spidey's villains sit down and swap bar stories. Plus, we've also got the amazing Spider Slack community for you to join. We're at nearly 200 people on there, so just check out this episode's description for a link to join our Spider-Man talking community and get in on all the action. 
So, Mark, if people want to reach out to you while you're moving, when you're limited time to check Twitter, where should they go? Well, you, you can always check Twitter at ChasingASMblog, and, and maybe I'll get back to you within the day. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at Mark Giannacchio. Uh, and, uh, you can always, while I'm moving, if you're really missing my insights, just pick up my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk, and you can read my writing in The Hollywood Reporter, and, you know, I'm doing all kinds of exciting things, so just kind of check in, and you'll see what I'm up to. But, Mark, while you're gone, you know, I, I think you're moving into this new house. It's always nice to put up some new paint, and maybe paint, like, you know, a, you know, a family motto, like, you know, over the door, you know, like just welcoming people into your space. And I think there's no better one than the one that we have on our show for you to like enshrine for all time in your new home. Are you going to do it? What would you put? Uh, well, if if my wife allows me to enshrine our home with, with such a saying, that saying would say, with great podcasts must also come the all new Amazing Spider Talk. Have I done Gog before, Dan? You have, yeah. Oh God, what did what did I do for Gog? Was he kind of like Stegron? Yeah, it was, but it was like more high pitched, and it was just about like dying. <laughs> okay. You take some water. I'm getting I'm getting horse. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. We'll come up with a horse villain for you. I'm dying. <laughs> Oh, let me try again. I'm dying. (laughs) I need to get this right. I need to get this right. my video off <laughs> no because I'm not even looking at you I'm just <laughs> <laughs> just gotta cut it short <laughs> oh god I'm gonna... yeah I'm turning you away Well, Mark, that's unmistakably Gog. <laughs> <laughs>